I don't know if you guys can tell, I still get a little nervous up here. It's, it's a lot better than it was the first time. Um, I, I'm moving, I'm not so stiff. I don't feel like I'm terrified, rooted to the spot. Um, all right, so we know, we know who God is. And we know God tells us that he cares for us. We know he answers prayers. We know that God is, is God. Um, and in Exodus when God appeared to Moses as the burning bush and, and God, or Moses said, who should I say sent me? Who, you know, what is your name? God tells him, I am who I am. And to tell the Egyptians that I am has sent you. And God is telling Moses and, and us that, that he is God. He is the great I am. He is the God, the only God. But we have different names that we can call God, different names that we can call on him in our prayer, uh, in our times of need, and whatever it is in our life. You know, we, we call him Abba, we call him Father, we call him Lord, and, and these are all good names to call him. But some of them are kind of nebulous, like God or Abba. It's, it's an all-encompassing name. But he has names that we can call out in our specific times of need. And more than the God of the universe, he is our personal God. We can call out to him on a personal level. And there are some scriptures and and names that, that point out what he does for us and what he offers us and, and how he's there for us. So the first name is Jehovah-Rohi. And Jehovah-Rohi, it's the 23rd Psalms, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, I I mean, that, that says it all right there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But what does that mean for us? What is a shepherd? What, what does a shepherd do? Um, and, you know, if you guys know me, I did a lot of research on shepherds in biblical times because that's what I do. Um, so a shepherd had two main responsibilities for their flock, protection and providing. Protection is where the rod and the staff come into play. So the rod was basically a club. It was, it was a short stick, uh, bulbous on one end. Sometimes they'd have nails driven into them. And the, the stick, the staff, the rod, sorry, and the sling was what the shepherd had. That was what they used to protect their entire flock from lions, bears, whatever the danger was. They defended their entire flock with that rod and the sling. The staff, sometimes used in protection, it's a longer stick, um, but the main purpose of the staff was to catch and manage the sheep. So the rod protected and the staff corrected. And the sheep is comforted by the fact that his shepherd has these. 
Because the sheep knows the shepherd will take care of me. The sheep doesn't have to worry about the dangers that will come to him. The sheep doesn't have to worry about where his food and water will come from. And the sheep knows that if it's heading in the direction that is going to be harmful to it, the shepherd with his staff will correct the course to keep you out of danger. So when the field that the sheep grazed in ran out of food, it was the shepherd's job to find more food. They had to find a new field. When there was no water, the shepherd had to find more water. So some interesting facts that I found out. In the summertime, the, the food was abundant. The fields were full of food. It was everywhere. Um, and then even into the autumn, uh, they would take the sheep out to the grain fields after they had been harvested and gleaned, and the sheep would clean up what was left, and any wheat that was left, and weeds that were growing, and, and scrub, and things like that. Um, but in the wintertime, it got harder for the shepherd to find food. And so shepherds would have to travel with their flocks. They, they would take their entire flock and travel to where there was more food. Sometimes that was days away. Sometimes that was up into the mountains. Um, and there's actually, a, a, in First Chronicles 4, there's the clan of Simeon, and it tells how they had to leave to find new pastures. And um, I had to look up and kind of cross-reference a lot of city names, but best I can tell of where they went from to where they came from was Beersheba to Gedera. And when I looked on Google, that is a one-day walk. And that's you by yourself, one person, that's a one-day walk. Now imagine with your entire flock of sheep. I'm sure it was, so this tells me it wasn't a let's go and get food and then come home for the night. You're going there and you're staying there until your original pastor has food again. If the shepherd had a smaller flock, they would actually move the sheep into their house. So the sheep would live on the bottom floor of the house, and then the rest of the people would live on the second floor. And the shepherd would go out every day into the mountains or wherever he needed to, and he would cut down brush and leaves and whatever he needed and bring it back and feed his sheep. If a stream of water is moving too fast, a sheep will not drink from it. I mean, isn't that, that's us, really. But the shepherd would find still water. The shepherd leads the sheep by the still waters. I mean, he tells us that. He takes us to the place and removes our fear. And if the streams are dried up, the shepherd had to go and find a well and physically pull water out of the well to give his sheep water. And, and interesting, but off topic, kind of, when God blessed Job after his trials were over, uh, he said he gave him a double portion of everything he had before. And it said that Job then had 14,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. I just found that one really interesting. So the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. 
God shepherds us in our life. He guides us. He protects us. He corrects us. So the next name is Jehovah Jireh. And, and we sang that song this morning. And thank you, worship team, for getting both of those Jireh songs and doing them so well today. Uh, they just started those songs on Thursday, everybody. So the verse is, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. God had asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him. And at the last minute, God stayed his hand. Abraham had looked up and he found there was an animal stuck in the thicket that God had provided to be the sacrifice instead of Isaac. Now, Abraham showed extraordinary faith in this. Um, I can't imagine what was in his head when God said to him, I want you to take your son up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Did, did he know God would stop him? Did he think God will just bring him back from the dead? I, I, I don't know what was in his head, but, but what he did know is that God would provide. He had already provided Abraham or Isaac as his son, which was miraculous in itself. We we're a needy people. I don't know about you guys, but I need things every day. <laughs> I need food. I need water. I need a home, which means I need money, which means I need a job. And God has and will continue to provide all those things for me. And, and I wouldn't be where I am today without the amazing providing of God. Now, I've told this story up here before, um, but I, some newer people, and I, I love to tell this story, so I'm going to tell it anyways. So, I used to work second shift. Um, I was working seven days a week. I was doing an average of 75 hours a week, and it was over 10 years. I was not in a good place, uh, mentally spiritually, uh, none of it. It was, some people can work that shift, I can't. It, it, was, it was not good for me. And, and most things in my life were suffering because of it. But I was kind of in a catch-22. Moving on from that would have severely reduced the money that I was making. And in my head, that wasn't something that I could do. Um, and trying to get into what is my desired job, which is NIT, just it wasn't feasible because I had never finished my degree. And to go anywhere and get a job in IT without having the degree would be starting at the bottom of the wage. So where I work, we had recently put a bunch of new computers out in the plant. Um, and the guy who worked IT for our plant 
was telling me about how you know he had all these new computers out there, but he hadn't got to documenting all of them yet. And he had talked about it in one of their meetings, and one of the other guys had joked to him, I'm surprised you don't have a, a PowerPoint with all your computer stations made up yet, because Rocco is very meticulous about keeping track of things. So I told him, I said, I'll, I got time tonight. I'll go through, and I'll, I'll document everything for you. I said, I'll go ahead and make you a PowerPoint, too, just to be fun. Um, so I did, you know, I went out and I got all the pictures. I got him all the information that he actually needed. And then I started making this PowerPoint. Now what I didn't know at the time was that he had not gotten to documenting because there was supposed to be two guys working IT for our plant and he was pulling double duty. So I get all the pictures and I go in the PowerPoint and I make the cheesiest PowerPoint you've ever seen. It's got all the funny animations and, and I had a Sarah McLaughlin song playing in the background. <laughs> and I sent it to him. I'm like, hey, here's the stuff you really need and here's the PowerPoint I made. Well, he took one look at that PowerPoint and went, this is the guy that I need. So he sent it to his boss and to his boss's boss and they started looking at it and it gets passed around the entire IT department, unbeknownst to me at all. And I come into work that night, and he calls me, and he's like, hey, do you have a resume? I said, um, maybe somewhere. He said, get me what you have, email it to me, I'll show you how to clean it up, I'll show you how to make the cover letter, and I'll show you how to write everything up. You're applying for the job for IT for the help desk for here. Trying not to cry. <laughs> so things progress, and I put in my resume, and they look at it, and you know they had they interviewed other people, so they finally pull me in for the interview. <clears throat> and uh, as I'm interviewing with who would become my boss, um, you know we were talking about degrees, and I said. I've done IT work in the past. Uh, I never finished my degree. I, I do. I have attended some college and stuff. And he said, "Well, he said, how long have you worked here?" And at that point, it was almost 15 years. And he said, "Well, me personally, and, and I know we feel this way. You know, my boss. A degree is five years. So you've been here 15 years. That's three degrees. So you now have more degrees than everyone else we've interviewed." And you have 15 years experience with every computer and every system that we use here at Fresh Park. And so I got the job. And I've been doing it now for five-ish years. And it saved my life. It changed my life. Amen. I wouldn't be standing here had this not happened. Had God not provided Rocco who was the guy that I work with in IT, had he not provided, none of it would have happened. None of it would be possible. I work less hours. I make similar money. I'm home. I see my family. I'm involved here in the church. God provided all of it. 
So the next name, Jehovah Rapha. And that's the, if you didn't notice, it's, I've got the Hebrew spellings of all these up here too. So Exodus 15, 26, he said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you would pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He is the God that heals us. So this verse, it takes place pretty much right after the Egyptians were freed from slavery in Egypt. Um, they had marched through the desert for three days, and they had no water. So pretty much they're at the point now where they're either going to get water or they're all going to die. And so they come upon this, this source of water uh, in the town called Mara, and the water was completely undrinkable. It was bitter, it was brackish. And I can only imagine what the people of Israel were, were saying and grumbling to Moses. You know, any of us that have kids, you can imagine. If you've been marching for three days, and when you finally find water, you can't drink it, it's all going to break loose at that point. But Moses called out to God. God said, go pick up that branch and throw it in the water. And he did. And the water became drinkable. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. He heals the land. He heals the water. He heals his people. He heals sickness. He heals disease. He can heal our country. And he tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Now God can and does heal us supernaturally. He gives insight and intelligence to doctors who do miraculous things with modern medicine. And when our time on this earth is done, when our bodies wear down and, and our time is up and we go home to our eternal home, we are promised a glorified and resurrected body. The ultimate healing lies in God. Whether it's here or there, the only healing is through Him. Now the next name is Jehovah Nisi. Exodus 17:15 says, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. So Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. Now when the Israelites came out of slavery, they came across a nation of people called the Amalekites. And they were not happy that this new upstart of a nation was tramping over what they thought was their land. And so they went to war with the Israelites. And this is a people that is fresh out of slavery. They, they don't have warriors. They don't have weapons, they don't have battle plans, they don't have generals, but they had God. And so when Joshua as the general took the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites, 
and Moses went on top of the mountain to, to get the, the view. When he lifted his hands to God, the Israelites started to win the battle. When his hands couldn't stay up anymore and his hands fell, then the Amalekites started to win. And they propped his arms up and they held his arms up. And what Moses was doing was lifting God as his banner. And he declared that the Lord is my banner. Now, in those times, in medieval times, you know, when people would go into war, they would, they would carry a banner with them. Um, would kind of look like maybe this one. And this identified who they were. The banner that they fought under was who they belonged to, uh, who they were, who they fought for, who was their lord or overseer. Or a more modern way, we can look at this banner that we fight under, that we worship under. Because God is our banner. So what Moses was saying is that, that God is his victory. Under the banner of God comes the victory. And God is our banner and our victory. And when we fight our Amalekites, we battle under the same banner of God that supernaturally defeated the Amalekites. And we have the victory of that banner. The next one is Jehovah Makedesh. Exodus 31:13 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So he is the God that sanctifies us. Jehovah Makedesh. When the temptations of this world are too much for us to handle on our own, he sanctifies us. When we are in our sin, he sanctifies us. He sets us apart from that sin, and he separates us from that sin. He doesn't want us to stay in our sin. He wants us to experience his joy, his righteousness. He wants us to be his children. And he sanctifies us to bring us closer to him, to build that relationship. Just like any other parent, he wants what's good for us. He wants us to do what is right. He'll correct us, just like the good shepherd. His staff corrects our course. He sanctifies us. He, he walks alongside of us. The next name, Jehovah Shalom. Some of these are shorter than others. Judges 6.24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. I don't know if I said those words right, but close enough. <clears throat> so during the time of the judges, it was a very much uh, like up and down cycle of God's people. God would save them, and then they would go back to their sin, to their false idols, uh, and then God would allow them to have troubles again, 
And then finally they would call out to God again and over and over and over. Um, during this time with Gideon, the nation of Israel was being ravaged by the Midianites. Um, they would come, they would kill their animals, they would destroy their crops, they would kill whoever they wanted to. It was, it was a very bad time. And so God sent an angel to Gideon. And the angel said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, New phone, who dis? <laughs> and so when it was revealed to Gideon that it was an angel of God, Gideon cried out to God in fear. And verse 29 says, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Sorry, verse 23. Um, you know, this speaks to me because how many times have we been in a situation and, and, and we have to get that, that word from God, peace. You're not going to die. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. Um, but, I mean, I could imagine if an angel appeared to me and started speaking to me, I, I think I would be a little afraid myself. But when we cry out, God grants us that peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about everything, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which is accurate. I, I don't understand how to have peace on my own. Without the peace that God gives me, we're just a people like anyone else who doesn't have God. The people of this world don't have the peace. The, there's anxiousness. There's nervousness. There, there's fear. There's stress, there's agitation, anger, all these things in the world. But we call out to God for our peace, and he covers all of that. I think I'm a little early, but the last one that I'm going to talk about as I kind of close, Jehovah Shammah the Lord who is there. So this name is given in the end of Ezekiel. Now most of the book of Ezekiel, God is, is pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem through Ezekiel. Um, most of the people had turned away from God. Uh, they were in exile. The temple and their city had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar about 13 years before this. Uh, they had all been taken as slaves to Babylon. They had been doing detestable things in the sight of God, and so he, again, that up and down cycle, he, he let them face the consequences of their own actions. So God judged them he purged Jerusalem. 
He purged the people of Israel. He had his angels come through and kill. He sent famine. He sent fire. But when he sent his angels to kill, he spared those who had not done detestable things. He spared his people. Those that were with God, God was with them. So towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, uh, God takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. And God breathes life into the bones and they come alive. This is us. God breathes his life into us and we come alive. And without him, we're nothing but dry bones. So God then goes on to show Ezekiel a vision of a restored Jerusalem, of the city, the, the temple, the courts, everything restored and rebuilt. And it says that city shall be called the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. And like I said, at this time, there's, there's no temple standing. Um, it hadn't been standing for about 13 years. So he was showing Ezekiel a, a vision of the future. And now there, there is some debate as to which temple this actually is. Um, some of them, some of the experts, they say that this is the next temple that was built um, around the time of Jesus. Some people say it's the millennial temple, which is what will be built after the second coming when the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is built. Uh, and some of the experts say that it's not a temple at all. It, it, it's us. It, it's his people. I, I say it's probably all three. I don't think God needs to be bound by it. It has to be one of these things. Um, but in the end, it doesn't matter which one of the three it is. It's the name that was given that is important. The Lord is there. And he clearly shows through the rest of the book of Ezekiel that he was there with his people even in their exile. He spared the ones who abided with him and who kept his commandments. He protected his people. And there's parts in there where God is telling Ezekiel, pronounce judgment on these men. They're doing this they think in secret and they say God is not here God can't see me but he can obviously because he told Ezekiel about it even in our sin God is there in our non-sin God is there you can't even if you can't see him you can't feel him he's there and you can't hide anything from God So in our needs, God is there. Our wants, God is there. Our desperation, our joy, God is there. And he's our shepherd. He's our provider. He's our joy. 
and he is each one of those things and he is all of those things. So I would encourage you as you're in your prayer times, call on him for all of your needs. Call on him for your individual needs. Call out the name. Make it a close, personal time with God. I'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this word that you have given me to share. And I thank you for everything that you are and that you are our personal and loving God. Lord, I pray that as we go on the rest of our days that we would always keep you in in our mind and, and be constantly in prayer. In your name I pray. Amen.